A lot of new faces. A lot of people I don't know. So my name, Jake Sullivan, and here's kind of my role here at Grace Church. I get to oversee all next-gen ministry. So 0 to 18 and young adults. So if you are a senior in high school and you're saying, like, what's next for me? You're staying around town. You're here this summer. Uh, whatever the case might be, I want to encourage you to jump in to young adults on Tuesday night. So I used to, a couple years ago, spend almost all my time with high school students, and now I spend almost all my time with young adults, and occasionally, Matt will give me the stage to be with you guys. And we have this thing with young adults. One of the things that we want to do at young adults is, is we want to celebrate when God sends his people out. Like we want to look like, we always talk about this young adults, we want to look like the church of Antioch. We want people to come and we want people to go. And we, when you go, we may not see you for a year or two, but we want you to come back when you come back. And, and this idea of Antioch sending out Paul and Barnabas, and I'm sure the church of Antioch would have been better if Paul and Barnabas would have just stayed. But then the gospel would not have gone out from their midst. And, and so Zane doesn't even know I'm going to do this, but what I'm going to do tonight is over the last three and a half months, and I know how much you guys love Zane Black and all things Zane. I love Zane Black. I, I really like his clothes. Um, I got all the love and life stuff. Where's Maggie? Is she in here? Yeah. Making me like my own custom hat and all that kind of stuff. Zane, for the last three and a half months, has been on the Winter Jam Tour, and most of you guys know that. But God used him powerfully. And sometimes when, like, one of our brothers or sisters in Christ aren't in our midst, it can just kind of be easy to be like, oh, he's just not here. Like, what's he doing? Have we forgotten about him? Do we not love him? No, we've been praying for him, and, and God has used him powerfully and has given him incredible favor amongst some of the premier artists, music artists in the, in the Christian realm in the United States. And so for just a couple minutes, I'm going to have Zane come up, and I'm putting him on the spot. I didn't, I didn't even want him to know I was going to do this because I want to see whatever the Holy Spirit puts on his heart. But I just want him to share with you guys a little bit about what God has been doing through him for the last three and a half months on the Winter Jam Tour, and then we're going to jump into our message tonight. So Zane, we love you. You're awesome, Jake. Thanks. I don't know how it is, but, like, I just got nervous. <laughs> Matt Lee's over. He goes, how are you nervous right now? You spoke in front of tens of thousands of people, hundreds, I guess. But <laughs> I don't know. I just got nervous. Uh, I also will say this, and this will probably lose, like, all credibility. But uh, I walked in that door, and I saw you guys worshiping here. And, like, I just started to tear up. And, oh, dude, I might even get a little emotional right now. Uh, it's crazy. Like, you know, I guess 40 cities over the last three months, uh, we saw 27,000 people respond to the gospel and receive Jesus as salvation. And And, like... I still, like, I feel like I don't even have, like, a folder to put that file in. Anyway, I'm like, well, how do you even process that? But there is something beautiful about what God is doing here. And uh, I just, like, after traveling all across, you know, kind of the southeast and eastern states, 
uh, just to see that you guys are here and see familiar faces who are still here and, and coming to receive teaching from the word of God, coming to celebrate God and worship and, and get to know each other through community. Like, do not miss this opportunity. And I think that was maybe what was craziest for me is like, wow, like I just got to do this awesome big thing. And actually what I missed was this. And, uh, and still, I mean, I, I praise God for all that he did. But uh, don't take for granted the opportunity that you have to be here in community, to be authentic and vulnerable within your small group, that you have people that care about you and are showing up for you week in and week out. And I know sometimes, it, you know, it gets every day or every week, but there are people who care and they want to see you know Jesus and want to see you take your next steps with Jesus because they believe that the power of God in you could change the world. And in the same way that, yeah, all oh, these people got saved out there, so sweet. The same potential lies within you if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus. Because the God of the universe lives in you because you trust in Jesus. Like that is supernatural. So there is in that sense, like no limit to your life and the impact and influence that you will have because of who is in you. The power of God, the resurrected Jesus who sent his spirit to live in you. So um, I don't want to like, also don't feel like I'm about to preach a sermon. Be careful when you give a preacher a microphone. <laughs> so uh, it is so good to be back. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm just, just Zane. Uh, come up and say hi anytime. Uh, I'm so glad to be back. What's up, Aaron? Um, <laughs> thanks, Sam. So thank you, guys. I'll give it back to Jake. But I am, yeah, I'm here for kind of the next two months until our summer tour starts. So, uh, yeah, I will say this. Maybe last thing. Do it. Last Do it. You got, thing. The, you got the platform. You guys, one of the things that we notice being on tour is that now more than ever, people are hungry for hope. Like so many of the things that they sought for security in the world have has left them longing. People are confused. People are scared. People are looking for something real. And we have the opportunity to share hope, to share realness, to share Jesus. And he changes lives. So, like, don't be afraid because one of the things is like, oh, man, well, how am I going to do that? Well, Jesus lives in you. So he can do it through you. I mean, like, if you think about it, I, there's no reason why I should be on the Winter Jam tour. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to share that after yeah, you got okay. done. Right? Like, I mean, I wake up every morning on the bus and you're like, what in the world? Why am I a part of this? I don't deserve, you know, I'm like doing chapel service for the artists. And you're like, KB, open up your Bible. I'm about to preach or whatever. It's just so, you feel so, me? But then I take comfort. Like, it's not about me. 
it's about the God who lives in me. And the same God who lives in me lives in you if you're a Christian. And so you don't need any more of God. All of who he is, you have. Let's share him with the world. Okay, I'm done. I love it. <laughs> love you, Jay. We love it. Now, I did, I did that for two, two reasons. One, we love Zane. And we want to celebrate when God sends out and then God brings back and what God does. Two other reasons is I want you guys, even if you get nothing out of my message tonight, the goal of discipleship in the Christian faith in the church is to send out. Like all of our lives would be a lot easier and you would probably love to hear Zane's preaching every other week if Zane just stayed. But what about those 27,000 people? And sometimes we see these artists like KB or Crowder and these guys, they're people with struggles just like us. And God has laid his hand of favor on Zane to pastor them in this season, in this culture, in this time. So why would we want to hang on to him when we can send him out? That's one. Two, don't ever doubt what God can do with you. Because he's like, like, why me? Like, why, like, you know, and I was thinking about Zane yesterday and the favor of God that is clearly on his life and the places that God is putting him. But like, he's just a dude from like, I don't know, Seattle or something that came up with a love and life brand that somehow ended up in Minnesota at Grace Church. And God said, like, you. Like, just being obedient to what God is calling you to do next. Zane never imagined himself being on the Winter Jam tour. He just said, I'm going to be obedient with the thing that God asked me to do next. And each next step, all of a sudden, God gave him this platform. And, and that platform for us may be leading a small group in our church someday. Maybe leading your family someday. Maybe standing on a stage with 50,000 people. Maybe leading KB on a, in a morning service. I mean, I, who knows what God is going to do, but we serve a powerful and amazing God. And I want you to see it. Like We have the opportunity to see it live with Zane being sent out and coming back and how God is using him all over the United States. So let's jump into tonight's text. We're in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Awesome text. So we're just going to open it up. We're going to jump right on in because now I'm already short on time, but we wanted to hear from Zane. Here's what, and we'll be in the ESV for you guys that are following along with me. So Mark 12, 28 through 34, it says, it says this, And one of the scribes came up, heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one neighbor's as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. 
And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So let's, let's dive in tonight. And small group leaders, I think, I don't know if you guys get questions and necessarily how all that works now with that. But make sure you're taking notes tonight because I think some of the questions that may have been previously given to you will change just a little bit. So when you guys get into your small groups. But let's dive in and let, let, let's first set the context of what's happening here. Jesus is spending time teaching and, and there's essentially this question and answer session taking place. I don't think Jesus set it up that way, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees turned it into that. So if you look back a few verses in Mark 12, 13 through 16, the Pharisees, the Pharisees show up on the scene and they try to ask Jesus this question slash trap him about paying taxes to Caesar. Jesus ultimately responds like, what is Caesar? Give to Caesar. They basically told all of us we have to pay taxes. All right? Good news, bad news. All right, Mark 12, 17 through 27 The Sadducees now show up and ask him about the resurrection of the dead. And they lay out this, like, ridiculous situation, essentially asking if we'll be married when we are resurrected, and so on and so forth. And and Jesus deals with that particular question slash trap. And now this third question is posed in Mark 12, 28. And it is posed by one of the scribes, and, and here, here's what the scribe did. He, he, the scribe came up, and he, he heard them disputing, and likely, right, this conversation about taxes and the resurrection. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which was the third question, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, it is likely that this scribe is referring back to the original Ten Commandments given by God to Moses to give to the people of Israel way back in Exodus 20. And for you guys that might be new to this Bible thing and this church thing, I'm going to quickly just run through the Ten Commandments so we just have kind of a working base of it. So here are the Ten Commandments, a little bit summarized. Commandment one, you shall have no other God before me. Two, you shall not take the name of your God in vain. Three, you shall keep the Sabbath holy. Four, you shall honor your father and mother. Five, you shall not kill. Six, you shall not commit adultery. Seven, you shall not steal. Eight, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Nine, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife. And ten, you shall not cover, covet your neighbor's goods. And in most commentaries that I read as I was studying this, this um, text tonight, they believe that the scribe was trying to trap Jesus as well seeing if he would elevate one commandment ahead of another. And I actually don't agree with that. Based on the context around these verses, I don't think he was trying to trap Jesus, but had a genuine wrestling that was taking place in his soul. I actually don't think he was just wrestling with the Ten Commandments based on his response that we're going to look at later, but was wrestling with all the do's and the do-nots of the Jewish faith and the law. And, and I actually believe there's a lot of us in this room that are a lot like this scribe. Like we're wrestling with the do's and the do-nots of the Christian faith. Almost like, okay, God, like I know you have all these commands in your word. Can you just tell me the most important one? Because quite frankly, the list is daunting and overwhelming. And I love the grace that Jesus responds to this scribe with. He comes after the Sadducees and the Pharisees a little. But when you read in the whole context, there's just a grace that he gives to this scribe and to this question. 
He doesn't condemn him for his question nor his wrestling. And he does not overwhelm him with his answer. And I want you to know where you're wrestling tonight, whatever that thing may be, like Jesus doesn't condemn you in that place. His word has the power to answer and deal with your wrestling. And so Jesus goes on in verses 29 and 31, and he answers the scribe. And this is what he says. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And he says the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Like Jesus has, you ever ever noticed that Jesus has this marvelous way about him of answering the question without actually answering the question? And yet gives perfect clarity in the midst of our questions and wrestling. The scribe asks the question, which commandment is the greatest? And Jesus does not say, well, it's definitely commandment number one. You shall have no other God before me. Or Mr. Scribe, it is definitely number five. You shall not kill anyone. That's probably a good idea and a good one to follow. No, Jesus says, Mr. Scribe, like love your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus did with his response was essentially to say to the scribe, all ten commandments are of equal importance. There's not one above the other. But it is impossible to be obedient to these ten commandments, or quite frankly, anything else written in the law, if you don't love God and love your neighbor. And I want you guys to hear this so bad tonight. Like, If you're taking notes, dudes, I hope some of you guys are taking notes, like not just doodling in your brain like I do most of the time, all right? Consistent obedience is impossible if it is only marked by obligation. Consistent obedience is impossible if it is only marked by obligation. However, if obedience flows from a place of love, first for God and then your neighbor, obedience is much more likely and a whole lot less burdensome. And this is exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were missing. They pursued obedience out of duty instead of love. And as a result, were actually far from God. They, they were doing all the right stuff. They were obedient, but yet they were far from God. And I, and I wonder in this room tonight, how many of you are completely exhausted in following Jesus? You're just like, this is exhausting because you're pursuing obedience to all the Christian rules out of obligation. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what Christians do. Instead of allowing obedience to the commands of God to flow from a place of love. As many of you guys know, you guys that know me, I've spent essentially the last 20 years of my life and continue to coaching high-level youth basketball. And when I say high-level youth basketball, like most of the kids I'm working with are playing on a national level and pursuing college scholarships, etc. And here's a question I always get from parents. My son or daughter's thinking about specializing in basketball and stop playing all other sports. However, my fear is that my son or daughter will get burnt out. What are your thoughts? And my reply for the last 20 years has always been the same. 
if your son or daughter is making that decision on their own with no outside influences, regardless of age, they will not burn out because they love the sport that much. However, if you, the parent, or other outside influences are forcing that decision, then chances are that athlete will burn out. Because what is done from a place of love is easy and not burdensome. What's done from a place of obligation always burns out. And the same is true as we think about obedience to Christ. If it flows from a place of love, it will keep burning. But, it, but guys, if it simply flows from a place of obligation, I'm telling you, you're going to get plucked off by the enemy. And I think there's a lot of you in this room that are in that place right now. And some of you pretend to do all the right stuff in order to keep up this Christian image. You're going to get plucked off by the enemy. That plucking may mean you completely walk away from your faith because the load you are carrying is just too much. Or it may be that you become overly legalistic and stop looking like Jesus and start looking more like the Pharisees. And we know the Pharisees and the Sadducees, though they did all the religious things, they were far from God. Now with all that said, here's what I want to do tonight. I want to take a time out from the text just for a second and ask you a simple question tonight. What is love? So I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and even maybe more specific, what is biblical love? Now you have 30 seconds. I want you to write it down in your notepad, write it down in your notes. Some of you dudes like me, doodle in your brain. Like what is your definition of love? Don't Google it. Don't cheat. Just quickly, like first thing that comes to your mind is someone asks you, what's your definition of love? Because here, here's my concern, and this, this may be the definition for some of you guys, because we live in a culture that associates love with a feeling. Like love is some type of euphoric feeling about something or someone else. And then when that euphoric feeling leaves, then you are also free to leave. And, and here's the problem with that. Like, feelings come and go. Feelings come and go. Like, there are mountaintop seasons where the feeling of love is at an all-time high, and then there are valleys where your love, quite frankly, feels dry. Like, there has to be more to love than this emotional, euphoric feeling. And I think the reality all of us have to contend with is that we will have dry seasons of love even towards the God we serve. And I know some of you, that even just scares you just to say that. And I know some of you will say, I always love God and I always love people. Well, I don't. Like, I don't. There are seasons that I'm on the mountaintop and my love is overflowing, but they're more likely than not, I'm in the valley. And my, my love is dry. And if our definition is just a feeling, then I would say you're highly likely to get plucked off by the enemy. However, the Bible does not define love as a feeling, but rather an action. And so what I want everyone to do right now, and, I, and if you're going to memorize a verse, I hear a lot of verse memorization, especially in Grace Church. 1 John 3.16. So flip your Bible, 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, 1 John 3.16. And I, I believe this is, without question, the biblical definition of love. 
1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. According to 1 John 3.16, according to the Bible, like love is not a feeling. It's an action of submission to the willingness of laying down one's life. Laying down one's comfort, laying down of one's time, laying down of one's resources. Love is not just for the mountaintop, but it's for the valley as well. It's a daily decision to lay down your life. And guess what this Easter? Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. Like, he wasn't feeling it. He went like, yes, God, I get to do this. No, he was sweating blood in the garden, like, Lord, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me. But not your will, not my will, your will be done. Right? It wasn't a feeling. It was an act of submission to laying down one's own life. And love is an action, and Jesus tells the scribe that I want you to live a life in a way of not checking the box of more religious achievements or more religious obedience. Like instead, I want you to wake up each day regardless of how you're feeling. Regardless if you are on the mountaintop or you are in the valley, and I want you to lay down your life. Every morning, I have a simple prayer. Lord, give me the eyes to see what you see. Give me the heart to feel what you feel. And Lord, let me lay down my life for those around me. That's it. Let's get started with the day. All right, that's, that's what he is telling the scribe. Love is simply a willingness to lay down one's own life on behalf of another. And God says the greatest commandment is to lay down your life for God and for your neighbor. Paul understood this in Galatians 2.20. That's what Paul says in 2.20. He says, like, I have been crucified with Christ. Like, I have laid down my life. I have laid down my comforts. I have laid down my desires. I have died to the flesh, and I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And wait for it, who loved me. And gave himself up for me. Jesus did not say like, hey Paul, I love you. And continued on with his work until he died a natural death. No, he said, Paul, I love you and I'm willing to give my life for yours. And Jesus made that statement of love with his life for each one of us in this room tonight. Now the hard part is he commands the same from us. So now that we have this kind of working definition, it's heavy, but this working definition of love, we also need to understand who our neighbor is. And I think a lot of us in in Christian community, we categorize people in two segmented groups. So group number one is, is my neighbor. The person who looks like me, thinks like me, talks like me, walks like me, and believes like me. And then group number two is the stranger. Like the person who does not look like me, who does not think like me, who does not walk like me, and who does not believe like me. So we live a life in which we associate ourselves with group number one, our neighbor, while excluding the stranger. And do you guys know what? That's exactly how the Pharisees and the Sadducees lived. What I think we often fail to recognize in Christianity is that our human nature 
is to live way more like the Pharisees and the Sadducees when it comes to our definition of neighbor than we are to live like Jesus. Like, do you guys know the pr- one of the primary things that caused the religious elite to l- absolutely lose their minds was who Jesus hung out with? They couldn't stand it. Mark 2, 15-17 says this, As he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners, how dare him, and tax collectors said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus associated with people not like him. And I want to pose this question to each of you tonight. And if you're taking notes, I hope you write it down. I hope you really wrestle with it. Who is in your neighborhood? Who's in your neighborhood? And I am not talking about your physical house and your physical street. I'm talking about the people you associate with. And and here, without question, I want you guys to hear me. Without question, your neighborhood should include a bunch of brothers and sisters in Christ. And it should include some Christian mentors, and it definitely should include the church. My question, though, is do you also live in a neighborhood of sinners and tax collectors? Or has your heart and soul become a gated community? Like, what's the goal if you live in a gated community? That's awesome. I want to live in Bear Pass so bad, all right? I'm never going to if I continue to be a pastor, all right? But the goal of a gated community is to keep other people out. And I think we need to wrestle with, has our heart and our soul become a gated community? And, guys, I don't want you to miss what the scribe said next after Jesus answered his question. Like at first glance, it looks as though the scribe just repeats what Jesus said, but there's this life-changing nugget in his response. And I, I think it is, it, it is maybe one of the most impactful statements, and I've never seen it before. But look at Mark 12, 32 and 33. So Jesus gives him his answer, and the scribe said to him, you're, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there's no other beside him. And Jesus is probably thinking, thanks, that's just what I said, yes. And, and to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one neighbors as oneself. Now this last part of the statement is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Like to love God and love your neighbor is much more important than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So let me give you guys this in plain English. To love God and to love your neighbor is way greater than your religious activity. It's more important to God than all of your religious activity. And for many of us in this room tonight, like our lives are marked more by religious activity and religious accomplishments than it is marked by love. And that is a scary place to be. Here's been my greatest wrestling of my heart these past few months. We've been walking, we do a staff Bible study every other week, walking through John 7 and 8, and it's really interesting to me how quickly we mock the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Even as a staff here. Even me. But when the believer sees us, or when the believer, the, I'm sorry, the unbeliever sees us, the unbeliever sees me, Christian, Do they see Jesus or do they see the Pharisees and the Sadducees? 
Like, are we living with a laid-down-your-life type of love for the God we claim to love, who poured out his love for us by going to the cross? Or are we simply doing religious gymnastics while our heart has grown cold? Like, are we living with a laid-down-your-life type of love for our neighbor? Or are we a gated community for the religious elite? And I think we need to wrestle with that question. I want to share a story for you guys of one of my really good friends. So he's a a young African-American coach. And he works in the realm of youth basketball. And he really, 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 really likes to smoke weed. Like, I'm telling, like, really likes to smoke weed. Like, you can laugh. Like, it's okay. All right? Like, he really likes, and I know I don't smoke weed. Okay? Like, he really likes to smoke weed. And everybody knows it, and he smells like it all the time. And he doesn't know Jesus. He's a good friend of mine. And one day, he rolled into a church parking lot, and I'm going to keep names and everything out of it. He rolled into a church parking lot, and he was, his team was going to practice at this particular church. And he got there about 30 minutes early, and so he sat in his car, and he thought it would be a a good idea to smoke weed in his car in a church parking lot. And there was a staff member of this particular church that walked out and saw this unfamiliar young black man in a church parking lot smoking weed, and reported this particular young man to the security of the church. And this particular place then watched this guy in his car via cameras for the next 20 or 25 minutes smoke weed. Now it happened to be during a women's conference as well, which even makes the decision more baffling why he was doing that. But then practice is going to start and his team is starting to show up and he proceeds to walk into the church. And he's not even through the front door, and he is jumped by three security guards. Who are you? Why are you here? What are you doing on our premise? That was his encounter. That was his first encounter before he could even fully step foot in the church. Not, what's your name? Not, hey, we're glad to see you. Now, hey, we're glad you're here. Who are you? Why are you here? And then when they found out he coached basketball, the next response, and youth, the next response is, why would any parent ever allow a guy like you to coach their kid? That was his encounter. And he left that day with a no trespass from the police. Can't come on property. So when he leaves, what did he see? He see Jesus. Now I'm not condoning smoking weed, and I'm certainly not condoning smoking weed in the church parking lot, so don't get me wrong. My question is simply this, did he see Jesus? Or did he see the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And the same is true of my heart often. Does anybody know the name Leah Thomas? 
Anybody heard that name? Leah Thomas is a transgender athlete at the University of Penn who just won the 500-yard freestyle Division I national championship as a female athlete competing, but it's really a male, you know, the whole transgender thing. And when it happened, I have daughters who compete athletically, and when it happened, what I wanted to do is I wanted to post on social media of how disgusting it is. Like, how can you really feel good about yourself winning in a female event when you're really a man? And I had a lot of other things I wanted to say about how confused we are as a culture. And all of those things would have been true if I post them all over social media. They would have been true. But would someone from the LGBTQ community, would they see Jesus or would they see a Pharisee and a Sadducee? Like, in my heart, do I see Leah Thomas as a soul separated from God for eternity without the recognition of Jesus Christ as her Savior or his Savior? Or do I see Leah Thomas as this disgusting sinner that has been consumed by culture? If Leah Thomas showed up to your small group tonight, ladies, how would she be received? And when she walked out or he walked out, they'd be like, I saw Jesus tonight. Or I encountered a Pharisee and a Sadducee tonight. And now please hear what I'm not saying tonight. Because my prayer is that you guys will not go home and have your parents email Pastor Troy. Like, I'm not saying to condone sin. I'm not. I'm not saying the transgender lifestyle is okay. I am not. I'm simply posing a question. Do people who are far from God see Jesus in us? Are they our neighbor? Or do they see a Pharisee and a Sadducee? I, and I'm not saying to ignore sin. I'm not saying not to speak truth. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just simply saying, if Leah Thomas met me, would she see Jesus or would she see the Pharisees and the Sadducees? That's the kind of love that Christ is calling us too. So Jesus didn't shy away from truth, but it was seasoned with love and compassion and care. I think maybe in Christian community, like, we're, we're falling away from that place. We got lots of truth. We got lots of voices. But are we loving like Jesus commands us to love? Finally, it concludes Verse 34, when Jesus saw that he, the scribe, answered wisely, said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And Jesus tells the scribes, like, you're, you're, now you're starting to get it. This life is not about striving, guys, after Christian rules and jumping through religious hoops. It's about living as Jesus lived. If you choose to live with a lay-down-your-life type of love for both your God and your neighbor, I can tell you a life like that has a way of repelling sin and pushing us towards obedience. 
Like I grew up as an unbeliever. And now I'm going to go over time because this is in my notes. I grew up as an unbeliever. And the thing that, that just blows my mind in Christian community is we are running away from sin via religious activity. Like what if we just loved Jesus, loved our neighbor? It is amazing how much that love drives us towards obedience and repels sin from our lives. Like when I'm pursuing my neighbor for Christ, I don't have time to flip through Instagram or TikTok reels watching inappropriate stuff. I don't. When I'm idle, just sitting around, did my Bible study, memorized my verse, did my thing, it's so much easier to go down the path to sin. That's what Jesus is saying in all of this. So here, here's my ask for all of you tonight. Like, I'm begging you. Go to the Good Friday service here. Like, whatever you have to do. If you don't go to Grace Church, you don't go to church here, church here, like, go to the Good Friday service. Like, no excuses, no reasons why you can't. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take in the magnitude of the cross. But I want you to take it in as a reflection of the immense love that God put on display for you. Like sometimes, like we have boiled all of Good Friday like down to our sin. And, 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 and I want you to wrestle with your sin and the reality of how your sin placed Jesus on that cross. Like that's a good wrestling, I want you. But I don't want you to stop there. Like, I want you to wrestle on Friday night with the magnitude of love on display for you. And as you watch the crucifixion Friday night play out at our Good Friday service, and you see the love on display for you, I want you to ask yourself honestly, does your love for God and for your neighbor Look like that love that Jesus has for you. Like the call by our God is not to memorize more Bible verses, join more Bible studies, pray more, do more, be better. And all those things are good. The scribes said like to love God and love your neighbor is way more important than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus agreed. Like the cry from our God is to love, which is displayed by a willingness to lay down our lives for the gospel and for our neighbor. So on Friday night, reflect on the fact that Jesus is not asking something of you that he did not first ask of himself. Like this Friday, his love is on full display. And that is what he's asking each of us as we live on this side of eternity. Display his love through your life to your God and to your neighbor by willingly choosing to lay down your life. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. God, we are a people blown away by your love. We are blown away by your compassion. We are blown away by your care of those who are not like you. That God, you would take a disgusting, wretched sinner like myself and die for me on that cross. 
God, may we never lose the magnitude of the love that is on display for us through that cross and ultimately through the resurrection. And God, may we be people who love like that. God, may our hearts not grow cold. We not be a gated community for the religious elite like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. God, would we reflect you in our lives? both with how we love you, that whatever you ask of us, we're willing to go, we're willing to lay down our lives, we're willing to be crucified with you. And God, that we're willing to lay down our lives for our neighbors, those who are not like us, those who don't think like us, believe like us, look like us, talk like us, but yet we can choose to love like you. So God, just stir our hearts this Easter. Let us not miss the magnitude of Friday and Sunday. God, capture our hearts this weekend. Continue to remind us of just the incredible love displayed on that cross. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.